So I want to see if we can be a little vulnerable. It's coming out the gate strong, I guess. Here we go. So we were singing this song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. I was just captivated by the fact that God uses people to do his work. If we can be honest, how many of you by a show of hands would be willing to admit that you're weak, you get scared, life seems hard, quitting sometimes feels like the best option? Good, I'm not alone. Someone asked me, Michael, how do you do it? How do you get up and preach Christ alone? cornerstone and my weakness he's made strong I tell you I wish everybody can get to know me the way that uh, my kids do maybe not so much the way Jomar does but you know to, <coughs> to some level but I'm just a regular dude yeah Sit down with me and chat, and you'll see I cry, I hurt, I get nervous, heart races. I don't even know how I do this week after week, but God. And I think it's important just with even where we're going, because sometimes we look and we can see the external and think that person is put together. Christ alone. That's the only reason why any of us stand in any space that we find ourselves. That's why I stand. I believe that's why you stand for the Lord. And that's the same driver for this ministry, right? that Christ is the cornerstone of this faith gathering. We believe that's why we've been seeing God do what he does. It's been amazing to see coming out of a pandemic the kind of momentum that has been built in this space. Sean was sharing last week, 30% growth in covenant membership on a typical Sunday these days. Sometimes we're getting up to 75% capacity in this space. The kids' ministry has doubled. And this small, faithful gathering is even now getting ready to send two people from this body, myself and Kevin, to Papua New Guinea to encourage missionaries that are reaching unreached people groups in the gospel. And there's been a, a full head of momentum, and it's just been exciting to see. But we don't want to settle there. We want to go from momentum to a movement, to seeing multiplication, more gospel-centered families gathering in the woodlands, more missionaries being sent out to unreached people groups, more space being provided so more people can hear the life-changing love of Jesus so that more kids can be loved on with the love of Christ. And so we're a family. We're a people on the move. And this is an exciting time to be a part of this local family. And you'll hear more about where God is taking us but those are the reasons why we're looking to make this big leap of faith to leave Bonnie's and go down to Creekside to get a little bit more room to see God do more gospel-centered work in us and through us. But please be not mistaken. This is not a move so that we can try to build a kingdom for ourselves. This is all built on the cornerstone. 
And I told somebody the other day, I said, if God is not going to move in us and through us, then Lord, please close the door. Don't send us if we're just going to occupy a space, put a flag in the ground and say we've arrived. But if we're going to be a mission-minded, multiplying ministry, then Lord, for your glory and for the advancement of the gospel, use us. There's so much more. My heart is full. I don't even know how long I've been. But at this point, I don't care. So <clears throat> turn off your watches. We're going in. Exodus 31. We're going to be in verses 12 through 18. There's a lot to unpack, and I'm not going to shortchange the word of God. Before we read and dive in, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me that the cornerstone does what only he can. Father, how grateful we are that you in your infinite wisdom use feeble and frail frames to speak to and through. Lord, we did not come to hear from man. We need you. So please meet us at the point of our need. Speak a word that trains, teaches, corrects, rebukes, charges, challenges, that does all that we need to continue to lean on the cornerstone and trust you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 31, starting at verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. That in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of God is good all by itself. We come to the final instruction that Moses is going to receive on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. In order to understand fully this final instruction that Moses receives on the mountain, we have to remember what Moses and the people experienced when they first came to the mountain of God. Back in Exodus 19, 
we see when Moses and the children of Israel, after three months of exiting from Egypt and making their way to the promised land, come to Mount Sinai. And the Lord calls Moses up on the mountain. And he gives Moses a word to speak to the people. In verse 3 of chapter 19, the Lord called to him, being Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God let Moses know when they first came to Mount Sinai that he wanted to be in covenant, in a relationship with the people of Israel, and the people of Israel desired to be in relationship with God, so they entered into this covenant. And then the Lord let the children of Israel know the rules and the rewards of being in a covenant relationship with him. And the first 10 rules that God gave to his people, he spoke himself to the children of Israel. And one of those rules we see in chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord rested. This word rested is the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means to desist from labor. And the word Sabbath that we see here, the Sabbath day, is an intensive of the word Shabbat. And what makes it an intensive is that it's a required rest. So the Lord was not letting his people think that this is something that you can give some thought to and get back to me on this one. No, I'm requiring you to rest. And so the Lord lets them know all of the people who are supposed to rest, everyone and all of the animals. Now, in order to understand the revolutionary nature of this required rest, we have to take off our 21st century hat. And we have to put on our ancient Near East agricultural society, we've been in slavery for 430 years hat. And if we put that hat on, what we'll understand is that this idea of a day off is mind-blowing. Israel, tell me the last time you had a day off. Never. And what happened the last time that you just thought about or requested just some time off, not even really for a vacation, but to go and worship. Well, Pharaoh liked to near kill us when we had that bright idea. There was no concept for time off. Now, for us, again, 21st century has like, well, I get Saturdays and Sundays off. Bless you. Israel knew nothing about that. Seven days a week, they were worked hard. And now God is letting them know, I'm commanding you to rest. One day, 
every week, everything shuts down. And we're going to understand just how revolutionary this idea was and what Israel would have to do in order to see this command fulfilled in their lives and how it would bless their souls. But the Lord went now from giving this command a required rest to now saying that it's a sign. So it's not only something that they're commanded to do. The Lord is saying that it's a pledge of the covenant. This idea of a pledge is something given as security for the fulfillment of a contract or covenant. So here this pledge is given as a security so that Israel might know whose they are and who God is. And Israel would have a complete understanding on the significance of this sign. Because for what some biblical scholars estimate conservatively, the past 800 or so years, they've been carrying a pledge of a covenant with them. It was the covenant that God made with Abram when he changed his name to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, God visited Abram and told him that he was going to change his name to Abraham because he was going to make him into a multitude of nations. And then at verse 7 of chapter 17, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, Jacob had Isaac. Or Abram, Abraham now had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And now the people of God, these two million or so people that are at the mountain of God, are the offspring that God told Abram, now changing his name to Abraham, a multitude of nations that he would have. And so now here they are at this mountain. But God gave Abraham a sign a pledge of this covenant that he was making with him from what the children of Israel would have understood was over 800 years ago. In verse 9 of chapter 17 in Genesis, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is the pledge that the children of Israel have been carrying for over 800 years. And now as they are going to hear this sign that God is giving them to keep the Sabbath, they would remember the significance of a pledge that God makes. Because looking back over 800 years, Abram, now Abraham, was one. And now there are two million people, Czech, multitude of nations. 
Now the Lord lets the children of Israel know that he's their God. Just what he told Abraham, I'm going to be your God, and for your offspring, I'll be their God. Check. And I'm going to give you the land of Canaan as a possession. And now here you have the people of Israel who have exited Egypt, and they're making a beeline for Canaan. So as the Lord communicates that he is giving them now a sign of the covenant that they're entering into with him, the children of Israel would know that this is a God who when he makes a pledge with you, 800 years wouldn't stop him from making good on his promise. So this sign was significant. And the Lord would communicate the purpose of this pledge. He says that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So in keeping the Sabbath, this pledge that God gives to his people, they would know that the Lord sanctifies them. This word sanctify means to set apart, to consecrate. It goes back to the idea of what God communicated that we just read in Exodus 19, that you will be my treasured possession, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I, the Lord, sanctify you. And by keeping this Sabbath, you will know that. And the Lord is going to let the children of Israel know in just a moment when he gives another purpose statement for the sign as to how they're going to know that the Lord sanctifies them by keeping the Sabbath. But before communicating that, the Lord lets them know the penalty of not keeping the pledge. It says in verse 14 of chapter 31, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now, this word holy is the same word that God used when communicating about the sacred place, the sanctuary that we just spent several weeks walking through. Whether the tent of meeting, the articles, the furniture, all those things that were holy. And if you remember, so holy that the priest could not just touch them or else they would die holy. And the Lord is letting his people know that this Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath is holy. Do not profane it. Do not violate this pledge. And it's because this is a commandment of God. In other words, the Lord is saying, do not disobey my word. If you do, you will be cut off. And so the Lord reminds them again from what he commanded them. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a required rest, holy to the Lord. And he really reiterates, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Now, again, let's understand the heart of God. This is not to try to scare the people straight, but it's out of love that the Lord gives a full and fair warning to his children. Because the Lord wants them to continue to walk with him, to be his treasured possession. And so the Lord makes it very clear up front. This is not a negotiation. This is a pledge. There's a part that you play in it, and there's a part that God plays in it. And again, we'll see his part in just a moment. But in order to be a part of this covenant, you have to keep your part of the agreement. And you cannot turn away from it, or else it voids the contract of the covenant. And so God encourages them. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. In verse 17, God lets the people know his part in this pledge as he shares this second purpose statement. 
It is a sign, the Sabbath, a pledge forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, just reading that at face value, you might not be able to see what exactly the Lord was communicating by referencing the creation story and what his part in the pledge was. But if we flip over to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we can understand a little bit better what the children of Israel would have understood God communicating to them by using the creation story as a reference to his part in the pledge. Genesis, I'm going to jump through a few verses in chapter 1, read a little bit more of the back half and a few verses in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, just flip all the way to the front. Genesis is the beginning, and you'll be able to read along. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was the first day. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. That was the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. That was the third day. Verse 14 and 15, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. That was the fourth day. And God said, verse 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. That was the fifth day. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. In verse 26 and to the end of the chapter, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold... I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very Good. And that was the evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
in chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God created everything in six days. All that was needed for life, water, land, an atmosphere, food, man and woman, he made it all in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. And there was that specific point, if you recall, where God said, and this is food for you. I'm also going to provide your sustenance. So God made all that man needed to live in his creation. And so what we see here in verse 17 of chapter 31 in Exodus, that this Sabbath, as the children of Israel keep it, is going to be a pledge that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh, is communicating to his people that those who practice the pledge will experience the provision of God. In other words, God is going to take care of those who trust and obey him. So where he says earlier on that the Sabbath day is a sign between me and you and that you will know that I sanctify you, how will I know that, Lord? Because I will take care of you. Again, ancient Near East, agricultural society, 430 years of slavery hat on. I have a couple of questions when you tell me to shut it all the way down for an entire day. Okay, cool. I see where you're going with this one. Just a few questions. Let me roll down the list. Like, who's going to? And you could just go down the entire list. But there were no questions because God had the answer. I will provide for you. You can rest on the seventh day and not worry about who's going to take care of this. How will this get solved? How will this be taken care of? Because I will make provision for you. And what better way to know? That you have been sanctified by God, set apart. You're different from all the other nations. You're his treasured possession. What better way to know that than to experience the care of a loving creator? I have a few kids. They know that they are my children because of the care that I provide for them. If I did not take care of them, they might have some questions. But they go and they ask me for things because they know who I am in their life. They have no concern. None of them work. <clears throat> it's all right in time. <clears throat> but all of their needs are met. They know that they are children of Michael and Jomar Darbuz. How do they know that they are set apart from all other kids? Because we take care of them. And God is communing the same thing to his children. Keep the Sabbath. Rest. And when you do that, you're going to know that you're my treasure possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, because I've got you. There's no need that you have that I can't provide. And as a calling sign, I want you to remember creation. I spoke things into existence that were not there. And now once I spoke it, they had to be because I said they would be. What do you need? What do you say to a God who says, let there be light? And it's like, oh, hold on. Okay, let there be shade. 
You know, what do you say to him when he says rest? But God, did you think about it? There's no question. Trust him and rest in him. And so then we can understand the penalty of the pledge because to violate, to profane this sign, to not keep the Sabbath, to disobey God is to communicate that, Lord, I don't trust you. I don't think that you can take care of me and I have to take matters into my own hands. So I got to work on the seventh day. I know it's supposed to be a day off and I'm supposed to rest me, all the children, all the servants, the sojourners and the animals. But there's just a few things, a few things I didn't get done. I just got to tie some loose ends on this day. God saying, no, you do any work. You're demonstrating that you don't trust me. And if you don't trust me, then you can't be in relationship with me. And God lovingly encourages people. So keep the Sabbath because I will keep you. And this is the same promise that God makes for his people today. And we have come to know because of the scriptures that we have an even more significant sign. Jesus teaches his disciple of who this sign is and what this sign is to do. And John Chapter 14, jump to a few different sections and see if I can sum it up, but really read 14, 15, and 16 of John when you have some time today. Actually, not when, make some time this week and read the word. John 14, verse 15 through 17. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. He's letting them know of this more significant sign more significant than the Sabbath. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Sounds like the same kind of language of a covenant that's to be forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is promising his disciples a helper, another as himself, that will be with them forever. Paul refers to this helper in Ephesians as a seal of salvation. The sign that we are in fact sons and daughters of God. And Jesus continues to let his disciples know what this helper, the Holy Spirit, will do in the life of those who love him and keep his commandments, who don't profane the word of God. Verse 25 and 26, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In chapter 16, verse 12 through 15, a little bit more about the helper, the Holy Spirit, the seal of salvation in Christ Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So the Holy Spirit, the sign, the seal of our salvation, our New Testament covenant with God. The Holy Spirit is to declare the word of God to the people of God, to teach the word of God to the people of God, to bring back to our remembrance the word of God to the people of God and to guide the people of God in the word of God. And so this is what the Spirit's assignment is. And because the Spirit is the seal for our salvation, who's declaring what thus says the Lord, letting us know what God's commands are and how we are to live for him, God has a full expectation that we would keep the word that the Spirit reveals to the people. And so we can look at Galatians chapter 5 to see the importance of keeping in step with the Spirit. The same way the nation of Israel would have had to keep the Sabbath so that they can continue to be in a covenant relationship with God. The Lord says, I have given you my spirit. And if you are going to continue with me, you have to keep in step with the spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 5 in Galatians. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We are to be a people who keep the word of God. And as a people of God, the Lord lets us know how we can come into right understanding of his word. I'm sending a helper who will declare my word to you. And when we understand the word of God, there's an expectation that we walk by the spirit. This word walk, it doesn't mean literally walking. It's talking about how we conduct ourselves, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And there are two sides here. Either you walk by the Spirit or you're walking by the flesh. And when you walk by the Spirit, you will know that you are sanctified by the Lord. You will know that you are different from those around you, those that are in the world. Because those that are in the world, Jesus says, cannot receive the Spirit. Because they do not know Him. Because they do not know the Son. Of God, But for those who know the Son of God, who have come to God, we are sealed with the Spirit. And so we can now walk 
by the Spirit. And we're expected to. And when we do, we will have the fruit of the Spirit. Would you hear that list? And you're like, man, if the people of the world could live this way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I mean, it's just, that's otherworldly. But if we don't walk in the Spirit, so there's a way of the world that is not in line with the way of the Spirit. And some of these things you hear on this list, and you're like, huh, I wouldn't have put like a murderer with someone who has a temper tantrum. Like a fit of anger? Yes, that is not in line with the way of the Lord. And because we have the Spirit of God in us, we should look different than the ways of the world. And so just like God gave his people in the Old Testament a command to keep so that they might know that they're different from the world, God gives us his Spirit that we are to submit to so that we might know that we too are different from the world around us. And when we walk in the Spirit, it's a clear indicator to us, as you can read in Romans, that we are sons and daughters of God. And what a great gift that God would give us this pledge to seal us for the day of salvation so that we don't have to sheepishly walk around wondering, am I actually saved? Now, I know I'm saved because I am walking in the Spirit. Now, let's backtrack just a little bit because someone might be thinking, yeah, but I'm, I'm not as patient as I need to be. Well, remember how Jesus referred to the Spirit, a helper, an advocate. This is not, hey, you do it in your own strength. I know you cannot do it in your own strength. So I'm sending God the Spirit to walk with you, to work with you. Again, not just to declare to you the truth, but also to guide you in the truth that's declared to you. So it's a great sign that I am a son or you are a daughter of God. When we respond rightly to the things of God, so an instance, if we sin or if we do something that's not pleasing to the Lord, we repent. Why? Because that's in keeping with the Spirit. So this is not about perfection, but it's about a right response to the Word of God. And you and I know, I just, I want to sit here for just a moment because we don't talk about enough about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, we sing about it and we're going to talk about it here a whole lot. But it's not as frequently heard the Holy Spirit and our dependency on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't understand how and why. But the Word of God lets us know that the Spirit of God dwells in every believer. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this. I just want to read this real quick so that you don't say, well, Michael, that's your opinion. Well, Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote that very thing. Chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. God promised his spirit to those who would receive the Son. And so now if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and is leading and guiding you in all truth. And if we could just be honest, there are moments where we're thinking something or getting ready to do something and you know 
You have a prompting in your soul that that is not the way I need to handle this. That's you? Now, come on. Again, let's just keep the vulnerability going. You know that pre-Christ, post-Christ, like we need them. Right? There's nothing in and of myself, my flesh, that's good. So when there's a thought to do good, to forgive my enemy, to be loving to my kids when they're asking a whole lot of questions one after the other, I'm like, hm, you don't know that my patient, right? To make sure that I am extending grace and mercy. Let this one step on your toes. Self-control. Right, not binge watching or binge eating. You know, the things that we can go ahead and do. And the Spirit of God convicts you just, oh, like, oh, yep, yep, I shouldn't have done that. Who is that? If you remember pre-Christ, I didn't call the thing sin that the Lord calls sin. I was living my best life doing me. Right, that idea of relativism. If I think it's good to me, then it's good to me. Like, well, what about if it's bad for me? Well, that's, that's your problem. My truth is truth. That's not, see, that's the foolishness of the world. But now we don't think that way. Why? Why don't you think that way? We're all not biblical scholars, nor do we have to be. But we have the biblical writer, the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us so that we can be a people that walk in love, peace, patience, joy, And so when we feel and when we understand that the Spirit is leading us, we need to respond. Now, let me do a Holy Spirit check because some people go a little bit off to the left or right and think, oh, well, I feel like, well, hold on. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit declares the truth, teaches the truth, leads and guides us in the truth. So if it does not align with the Word of God, that's not the Spirit of God because God does not contradict himself. Right, So the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to go rob that bank because you feel like you want to go and get that other house. No, that's not the way the Spirit moves. Right, So we need to be in alignment with the Word, just so we're clear. I don't want anybody going off the rails, be rooted and grounded in the Word. At the same time, when we're rooted and grounded in the Word, we can trust and believe that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us in this life. Because that's the seal for us today. And the Lord lets us know that if we ignore the spirit, then we're going to walk in the flesh. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, the things of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So walk in the spirit. Keep the sign. Obey the Lord. And when we do that, We will experience the care, the covering, the provision of God, and you will know that you are a child of God. This is not some back alley, just sit down and put it to the side kind of word. This is an in-your-face, front and center, living room word. Now, because if we're honest about it then, then that means that there are probably some things that we need to crucify. But I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a responsibility that you and I have. Are there some things in our lives today that we need to crucify? 
some things that we start to hold on to thinking that that might be helpful for me. You know, some things that were written in this list that I've just kind of pushed off to the side. Dissension, a disagreement that leads to discord, just holding a grudge, fits of anger. I've been a pastor for a little while, and I'll tell you, there's some sins that we talk about and we put on the pedestal that don't, don't do those things. And then there's some other sins that we'll just leave to the side, like gluttony. We'll, we'll push that one off to the side because, oh, well, I mean, you don't, can't tell people not to. I don't need to tell. The Lord said, right, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Are we exercising self-control? Are we off to the races? See, I know these are the kinds of messages that might thin out the crowd a little bit, but may it cause us to grow a whole lot in the word of God so that we're not just sitting here being consumers of content because that's a problem that we have in our culture today. We consume more and more and more, and it makes you feel good almost just hearing the word. But God doesn't say be a hearer of the word and you're good. He says be a hearer and a doer of the word. Apply this word. Nobody takes a plate of food, eats it, and puts it in their mouth and then just because you have a whole mouth of food. What do you do after you put food in your mouth? You bite, you chew, you swallow. And then the nutrients from that food goes all through your body to strengthen you. Well, it seems like today we just put a whole bunch of food in our mouth spiritually, but we don't bite, chew, and swallow. We just sit in it. And then I'll, con- I'll just consume more content on Monday, more podcasts, more, more videos. And I just want to learn more and more and more. And not that I'm saying that learning more is bad, but what are we doing with the more that we learn? The Lord says walk in the Spirit. The Spirit declares the Word, not so that we can just hear it, but so that we can do it. So what are we doing with the Word? Are we a people who are keeping the commands of the Lord? Then the children of Israel were required by God. I know we could talk a whole lot more about rest, but one thing that is very clear, the important line there, God could have made it anything, the important line was that they were going to be obedient to what God commanded. And if they were disobedient, there were going to be consequences. Can we be, can we be real about that? And not just talk about, oh, but you know, it doesn't matter what I do. No, it does matter. It matters a whole lot. Because there isn't a middle ground. Either we're going to be all in and walk in the spirit, or we're going to be all in and walk in the flesh. Which sign are you going to hold on to today? I want to invite the praise team to come back up as we wrestle a little bit here with this word. There's some things, again, not not me, but the word tells us, you and I are to crucify the passions of the flesh. You and I have to make a conscious decision to keep the commands of God. It wasn't easy for Israel. Again, that Sabbath idea, that was a revolutionary idea. This idea of walking in the spirit And denying my flesh, oh, but that's going to make me uncomfortable. I know. That's going to hurt. Crucify the flesh? What about this? You don't don't crucify the flesh like this. You just rub your side. Just crucify my flesh. No, that's that's caressing and petting your flesh. Crucifying the flesh is get out the ginsus and just start like, but that, yes, let him all the way in to cut off the unnecessary portions of our life. 
And we have to be real about those things that need to be crucified. No longer tampering with fits of anger and just speaking it off and acting like it's okay. I need to be honest with myself. I put on about 20 pounds. Some of my small shirts fit like a too small shirt. Right? And so when we get back from Papua New Guinea, it's like, all right, signing up, gym now. And that could seem like, oh, my, that's, that's a spiritual experience. I am looking to be a good steward over the body that God has entrusted to my care for this season of life. Again, how are we supposed to love God? With all of your mind, body, soul, and strength. Not one-dimensional, a holistic worship. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. Just like he wanted all of Israel. And we need to walk in the Spirit. And identify those things that do not align with the Spirit. So can we be honest again? How many of you? I know it's about to get real awkward. And if you're a visitor, you're probably thinking, if I have to raise my hand one more time, I'm not coming back. I got it. Come talk to me after, and I pray that you come back. But how many of us, by a show of hands, just real talk, we need this kind of encouragement in the family, right, to see that I'm not the only one that has some things I need to cut off. But you just know, and the Spirit is tugging on your heart. And there's something in your life that you need to crucify. Just by a show of hands. It doesn't have to, I mean, don't lie. I mean, you know, just, if it's not, then that's okay. That's about the room. Right. And here's the beauty of grace. That God would not cut you off, but he would call you out. That's so loving. I love you too much to just watch you go off the cliff. And I say, oh, come on back. But Michael, you might sprain their neck if you jerk them back too hard. A sprained neck is better than a broke one. Come back. God lovingly calls us out. And now that we have identified that, because that wasn't Michael Darboos, that was the seal of your salvation. Letting you know there's something that we need to cut off. There's something that we need to crucify. What you going to do with that? Real talk. Practical step. One thing that I believe would be helpful for us all who raised our hand, share that audibly with somebody else. Speak it out loud because you know what happens if you keep it in your head. I'm going to sign up for a gym membership when I get back from Papua New Guinea. Hey, Michael, do you have a sign up? Well, you know, I mean, I got back. No, now I have to give an answer for that. But if I keep it in my head, you know, I got busy. I'll just, no. Speak it out. Call it out so that we can be held accountable to that, something you need to crucify. And there's one other challenge before we go into a time of quiet reflection and prayer that I felt the Lord place on my heart for us all. Because we can all find ourselves in a space of consuming, but not really digging in. I want to challenge everybody in this room. You're not going to hell if you reject it. That's not what I'm saying. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, then take it to heart. To meditate. Spend some time this week. Start with 10 minutes if you've never done it before. Just quiet, stillness. You and the Word of God. Not meditating on what I'm meditating on the Word of God. 
See, because our challenge today is that we have a lot of information, but it's not leading to transformation. And the disconnection is meditation. Thinking deeply on the information that the Holy Spirit provided me so deeply to the point that I'm moved to action, that it transforms my life. And so here we've had this word today. 45, however many minutes that we've been here. Do we really think that it's over? No, this is an appetizer to wet our palate so that we will go through the rest of the week meditating on what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts today. I can't just ignore you and think that that's okay. I have to respond. So you have to spend some time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday meditating, thinking deeply on this word. Lord, what is it that you're speaking to my heart? And what would you have for me to do? If not, we run a danger of going off the cliff. I could stand here today and preach this word. And I've seen too many pastors do it. And then not live out this word. What makes the difference? Meditating on this word. Because I can't sit in this and then just come tell you something good and go live something different. I get cut up too. Because I'm weak, feeble, and frail. And we all have to respond. So for the next two minutes few minutes we're going to practice meditation you and Jesus actually I'm going to just go ahead and be silly well not really silly obedient Zach can we cut the music for this next part because that music might cause you to feel like you're in the third heaven and when you're living room you might not have that nice pad in the background it's just going to be I just want to sit in silence for a minute. A little awkward, maybe, for us. I mean, I'm supposed, am I supposed to say something right now? The Holy Spirit's going to speak. It's a couple of minutes. Meditating on what the Holy Spirit spoke to you. This could have been a sermon that just fell completely flat. I didn't understand point number two or three. I don't even know where, how he got there. Got it. But what you need... God will provide. We just need to be still and listen. And so the Lord has spoken through his word. If nothing else, just do the reading of it. I want to spend a couple of minutes thinking on what God is speaking to your heart. And then I'll pray for us. And we'll continue in a time of praise.